It's Combine Week in the NFL. GMs, coaches, the entire league has descended upon Indianapolis. Brian Callahan and Rand Carthon spoke to the media on Tuesday. We are going to give our takeaways from those press conferences. This is the Music City Audible. Let's get to it. Tajay's one of those guys that's always in the building. You know, I know there were a lot of concerns about his knee coming out, and that was the big question this time of year and after we drafted him. But we're talking about a guy that never missed a practice, never missed a game. Um, and he's, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, he's made of the right shit, you know, and, and those are the type of guys that we want to have in our program. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast brought to you by Broadway Sports Media in partnership with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, Justin Mello and Justin. We got some quotes. We got some interesting stuff to break down here. Nothing really has happened, but we're going to talk about our top key takeaways from Rand Carthon and Brian Callahan speaking to the media from Indianapolis on Tuesday. How's it going, my friend? Doing well, man. Doing well. I really enjoyed both press conferences. I I thought, number one, I thought Rand, I thought it was probably the best press conference he's done not that the bar is very high right (laughs) for being honest we know there there were some ugly ones uh when he first got hired and then even after Vrabel's firing everyone remembers that one but uh, I thought he put on a really really good uh press conference I thought he was honest he swore uh, a little vulgarity up at the podium which I liked uh and I thought Callahan was Callahan he's um unless he's got everyone fooled and I don't think this is the case because you know we're familiar with his personality and people that know him uh he's a straight shooter right like he doesn't really hold his cards that close to his chest yeah and I don't mind that I respect it about him because you know what there's no point getting up there and pretending like they don't need wide receivers and offensive linemen right like he can say they need edge defenders and quarterbacks and whatever that linebackers and every other team's gonna look at their roster and be like yeah they need receivers and linemen right like teams aren't dumb right like they they saw what they what they gave up you know sack wise and they know that they got a young quarterback and only one receiver who's getting older so it's like there was a lot of honesty and the first thing i want to start with is first of all when callahan was done at the podium i don't know if i'm pulling this out of my butt but um it looked like some of the titans local media were a little disappointed they had more questions for him callahan said i'm getting pulled in another direction and then a bunch of clips surfaced like a media scrum where they were like around him asking questions. So it's almost like they got back together after he was done at the podium. I can, I can speak on this from my time with the NFL going to Indy, watching these things happen. Yeah, that's exactly how it goes. They yeah. do their podium session and then they start walking away and they like pick a spot on a bleacher and 14 media members form a huddle around them. And that yeah. stuff never gets published anywhere outside of like Twitter video clips from those yes. people in the scrum. It doesn't like go on the team social page, YouTube page, whatever, the way the podium appearances do. And a lot of times you get the best nuggets from those little scrums. Well, you hit the nail on the head because it didn't happen with Rand. It looked like Rand had finished at the podium and it didn't happen, but it did happen with Callahan. And I thought his best nuggets came from that, what you said. There's a bunch of videos floating around Twitter the first one, of course, is the one that we're going to continue talking about the whole up until the second night of the draft. And we know what their decision was. Uh, the wide receiver versus O-lineman debate. Again, Coach Callahan, exactly what I mean by not playing the cards very close to the chest. He said, if all things are equal, I'm going to take the guy that scores points. Right? Like he really continues leaning into the receiver uh, discussion. When he spoke at the podium, he said, hopefully we find a couple guys that could help us so certainly made it sound like and maybe i'm grasping at straws but as we expect they might draft multiple 
wide receivers. And he talked about different skill sets. I thought he made a lot of sense. He talked about there are different types, right? And when you're building out, you know, you got your yard after catch guys, your vertical guys, your route runners, guys that just get to the chains, uh, blockers, of course. Uh, and he said, when you're building a wide receiver room, you, the goal is to try to collect a, a little bit of everything, right? To build the right room. So he talked about the Penne Sewell versus Jamar Chase decision. And uh, I, I thought he acknowledged one of the points I've been making on here, although he didn't go into detail. So maybe I'm reaching to make myself feel smart. But he said, you know, that decision was a little bit different. And I got the impression, again, the chemistry with Joe Burrow that was already built, you know, helped go into that decision. But he called Jamar Chase an animal, said he's in his own stratosphere and that both of them were all pro talents. And then again, the decision was a little different. He went with the receiver and that when all things are equal, um, he would like the guy that scores points. I'm going to let you interject before I get to my next point uh, of some of the stuff he talked about. But it certainly makes me feel like, you know, if you're looking at Joe Alt versus Malik Neighbors, for example, uh, it's easy to project that Brian Callahan would feel that all things are equal in mm -hmm. that discussion, right? And that maybe they would take a Malik Neighbors over a Joe Alt or an Olu Fashadu. Is it the same with the Rome Adunze versus Joe Alt or versus Olu Fashadu? Uh, Olu excuse me. I don't know, right? I think you know most people seem to be higher on Neighbors than Adunze, so I don't know that all things would be equal, quote unquote. It would probably be very, very similar either way. Um, but I thought that was really interesting, and we're going to talk about it up until late April. Yeah, this is going to be the the like topic that never dies. And the most interesting thing to me about these comments from Callahan is, is nothing new. Like we right. on this show have been talking about that exact quote, preferring guys that can score all things being equal. I prefer, I think guys that score touchdowns make a bigger impact. That quote, he has said that multiple times now. He said yeah. it on the radio, uh, multiple, multiple radio stations in Nashville, right after he was hired, he said a similar thing, to Cincinnati Bengals media a year and a half ago talking about, you know, that what he's looking for in the wide receiver room. And he said it again on Tuesday in Indianapolis. The reason it's so interesting to me that he continues to say basically the same thing is that, like you said, he's not holding his cards close to the vest. And there wasn't apparently any kind of discussion between him and Carthon and whoever else is making decisions back there to be like, hey, maybe... We should be a little more coy about how we're feeling. Like maybe right. we should throw something out that makes us look like we're leaning the other way. No, they are sticking to their philosophy. I think they are being honest, which is rare for a coach to speak to the media and actually be honest. He's not outright saying the wide receivers in this class at the top of the draft are going to be better than the tackles or that we feel they're better than the tackles. He's not saying anything like that, but it is indicating that they know they need better wide receiver play than what they currently have in that room. And they need high, high level guys, not gadget guys that are going to come in and make a one play a game type of guys. They need difference makers at that position. And they've acknowledged it now multiple times and they're not getting off of that point. So I wonder how many more times between now and the end of April, we're going to hear Callahan say something similar like this. But the other thing that was interesting to me that came out of this same conversation, well, I guess this may, may have been more of a Carthon quote, was talking about how, with Bill Callahan in the fold, they actually feel like maybe they can take a chance on a developmental tackle or lineman prospect um, as opposed to taking the guy at number seven overall. And it just goes hand in hand with this conversation. Like, there's just so many little clues that are leading us to the conclusion that the Titans are probably going to take 
a wide receiver with their first pick unless something crazy happens and they're all gone in the top six or they trade back. You know, that that's always an option too. Well, one of my, I mean, I'll push back only slightly because one of my favorite quotes that, that Brian Callahan said as well towards the end of his podium session was, uh, we'll never choose, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing obviously a little bit, but you never choose great coaching over elite talents. He goes, great players make coaches look better. What have we said going back a year or two about the talent on this roster and everyone hates the coaches, this the, the, hates the old coaching staff. This roster didn't have any freaking talent on it, right? And he said, he goes, well, you know, we're not going to choose. He goes, but there are cases where coaching, of course, elevates. And maybe we put a guy in a better position, right? Kind of thing he alluded to. But uh, no, I I don't think they're, uh, you know, taking a bunch of developmental guys. And I know it's not what you said, but yeah, taking developmental guys because of Bill Callahan. He said, no, like great players make good coaches. And uh, as Mike pointed out on Twitter, I think uh, thir- 11 of Bill Callahan's last 13 All-Pros uh, have been selected in the first round. Great oh, wow. tackles go in the first. I mean, look at the best tackles in the league right now. The best ascending one, even if they're you know young, young-ish, Penny, Penny Sewell, Rayshon Slater, Andrew Thomas, Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, all of them like top 12 picks, right? Like we can go on and on. But anyway, I thought that was interesting. I thought another thing that was interesting, I want to move on, yeah. was um, the the collaborative effort continuously being brought up between him, Rand Carthon. He even brought up Chad Brinker and Anthony Robinson. Callahan joked, he goes, I think on average we walk out of each other's office about 12 times a day. And he <laughs> he didn't sound like he was joking. He goes, that's really how collaborative it's been. And we're encouraging everyone in the organization to do the same. Go into other departments, talk to people, talk about how you can work together. Another thing he said uh, that Callahan did that I thought was really interesting, something I already knew from my experiences um, uh, with sources I have around the league, but I don't know that Titans fans know this. The Cincinnati Bengals do not do things like other teams in the league. They've got one of the smallest, if not the smallest, like scouting department in the NFL. They don't have a GM. They haven't had a GM in title in a while. Duke Tobin, who's the decision maker, is like executive vice president of football ops or whatever. They do things very, very differently, which means they put a lot on the plate of the coaching staff as well, right, to work other departments. Callahan said, having worked at the Cincinnati Bengals pre-draft process, that he was way more involved than your league average offensive coordinator. And I knew right away he was telling the truth because I've heard so much in recent years about before Joe Burrow was there, before they got good, in all honesty, it was a negative talking point, right? Like the Bengals, when you suck, everything's negative, right? The Bengals suck. They're really cheap. They don't have enough scouts. They don't have a, like, there's just all this stuff, right? That talked about their structure, smallest in the NFL. And he admitted, he goes, Tennessee, it's a lot larger here than it was in Cincinnati, but those draft-related experiences in Cincinnati helped prepare me to be really involved. And in all honesty, we know he's a football guy through and through. I think he really likes it. He loves it, right? He wants to get into the tape. He wants to do his own evaluations. He wants to have strong opinions. He wants to be very involved. And he said this moments after Rand Carthon at the podium said, Brian Callahan is my partner. And I've really enjoyed the partnership with him. So yeah, expect Callahan. I mean, it go, maybe it goes a little without saying, but based on his experiences, based on the environment they have here, uh, is going to be very, very involved in the decisions that get made on draft weekend. Yeah. 
Um, I'll throw out one of my favorite quotes of the day. You sort of referenced it earlier when you said Rand Carthon dropped a curse word in this yeah. presser. Yeah. He said, Tajay Spears is made of the right shit. I think the Titans love Tajay Spears, and I think he's in for a big season, whether or not, you know, what level of player. They're definitely going to bring somebody in to beef up the running back room. Whatever level of player that is, I feel like Tajay Spears is going to be a feature back and a rare breed in today's NFL. Mm-hmm. Now, Brian Callahan did mention that, you know, div- he called it like division of responsibility or something division like that. Division of labor. That was a division great quote of labor. too, I thought. When, when they asked him about the devalued running back position, he was, I still value it. I don't think it's de- devalued. I thought it was a good spin. He was, what's changed is the division of labor. Now you need two or three guys, right? Admit it, and we know it league-wide, a lot more backfield by committee approaches, right, than we've seen in previous years. So I don't think it's devalued. I value it a lot. But you need two or three guys that can play because the division of labor has changed. Right. Talking about, like, pass protection, obviously running the ball between the tackles, catching the ball was what he was talking about with division of labor. So I think Tache Spears is going to handle a lot of that. And then they'll bring in someone to compliment him, whether that's a free agent, a UDFA, I doubt they spend a draft pick, but we did talk last podcast about maybe they spend one of their seventh rounders on a back like that. Um, and Derrick Henry, door was not closed on bringing back Derrick Henry. Nope. Didn't sound particularly promising if you read into the tone. But right. from the actual words, Brian Callahan said he's like looking forward to talking more with Derrick. And that was kind of interesting to me because I, I feel like it's a foregone conclusion that nothing's going to be signed before free agency opens with, with Henry no. and the Titans. And also what was interesting was Rand Carthon before Callahan, he, he said, he goes, we know where Derek stands. He knows where we stand. I liked this part, especially you said about reading into the tone. My goal is to build long-term sustainability, a long-term winner. Again, when you got a 30-year-old running back, 31-year-old might not fit into those plans. But then he said, he goes, I, I've been asked about Derek more than anyone else since I got here. Uh, and he ended with, he made sure to note, there is a bit of sentimental value that goes into the decision. He admitted that would surprise me. So the tone initially really sounded like we know where he stands. He knows where we stand. You know, that doesn't sound great. Long-term sustainability. That doesn't sound great. Right. For bringing him back. And then, and then uh, talking about the sentimental value, maybe cracked the door open. And by the way, that's essentially when he got into the Tajay Spears quote, like he brought up Tajay Spears being made of the right shit. Right. Um, right after talking about Derrick Henry. So read the and, tea leaves how you will. Yeah. I mean, nothing is obviously settled, but it just feels like probably they're going to have to move on from Henry. It's just not going to work. Anyway, another really key takeaway from this that, I mean, it's not that key, I guess, but it's just nice to hear because basically every coach says this, even Mike Vrabel said this, even though he never acted on it. They said <laughs> they both kind of talked about the need to add speed to the roster, yes. which is undoubtedly true of this Titans team, especially the offense, the defensive backfield. Yeah, both sides of the ball need uh, speed. So a lot of coaches talk about that. Like I said, Mike Vrabel talked about always needing to add speed, and it felt like they rarely, if ever, targeted players that were elite speedsters. Obviously, that speed translating to the football field is very important to be successful, so kind of get it, but... Am I reading, is it too much just like general coach speak, every coach is going to say they need speed? Am I reading too much into this? Or do you think that this affects how they approach the draft and free agency, like with an actual focus on adding speed? 
Well, I do think it has an impact. What he said exactly, first of all, uh, another note to add to that topic and to one we talked earlier, he said it's a deep class of receivers with differing, uh, differing skill sets. You'll find good receivers in the third and fourth round. So again, read those tea leaves how you will. Doubling down at the position, not taking one in the first round, taking one in the first round and the fourth round. Certainly you can make your own con conclusions. But he said, we need to be faster and more explosive. We need to stretch the field and threaten opposing defenses. So I think that was really interesting. And then Ran, uh, I think it was Ran, talked about how they noticed that. It's interesting because they won that game. But when playing the Miami Dolphins late in the season, how much their speed on offense impacted what they were able to do. Pre-snap motion put us in a blender at times defensively. So certainly not just the element of speed on the field, but how it impacts you pre-snap and how you could really stress defenses before the ball's even snapped and they got to cover uh, every blade of grass. So certainly uh, I thought that was interesting as well. On the topic of receivers, I, I don't, I'll add one more note. Um, a very honest evaluation of Traylon Burks. Yeah. He offered as well. He talked about how Jamar Chase is a different animal in a different stratosphere. I like some of the traits Traylon Burks has showed on tape. We're excited to work with him. But he also, uh, not by mistake, put the onus on him, said Traylon's also got to take care of his stuff and make sure he's taking great care of his body in the offseason. AKA, he's got to stay healthy, and there's only so much we can help him with that. Some of that's going to fall on him. Very honest evaluation. He knows what the situation has been on Traylon Burks up to date. Excited with the multiple traits that's there, but realizes there's some stuff they can't work through if Traylon doesn't get himself right. Right, and uh, he... Um, Rand Carthon also talked about Burks saying that he's been working out with DeAndre Hopkins and that it's really good for Burks right now this time of year to be able to focus on improving at football as opposed to rehabbing from an injury. So it seems like they have maybe they're holding out some hope for Burks. They're not going to be counting on him coming into this season, but they know that if things click, they might have an extra weapon. It's nothing that you can, you know, like you said, avoid drafting maybe two receivers if Malik Neighbors is not there at seven because the hype train just goes off the rails and he ends up going five or six to the Chargers or the Giants or somebody else trades up for him, could you see a situation? Call me crazy if I'm crazy. Roma Dunze is still there at seven, a difference-making wide receiver, not the same kind of deep threat, although he's a good deep threat, just doesn't... I don't know. We'll see how the testing goes. Malik Neighbors will not be. He's a vertical playmaker. In my, he in is my a vertical opinion, playmaker. He's got I guess, a little T. Higgins to his game. Yeah, but he, yeah, he's more. Yeah, exactly. He's more of a T. Higgins vertical threat versus like someone who's going to burn you, like Malik Neighbors. Right. He's is not more, Xavier Worthy in this draft. Well, right? that's where I was going to go. Roma <laughs> Dunze at seven, Xavier Worthy top of the second round. Is that crazy? Are you playing left tackle next season? Nah. Who cares? Bill Callahan, baby. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I mean. No, I think I mean I think doubling down at seven and thirty-eight would be crazy. Not with the needs they have elsewhere. Free agency is going to give them an option as well. No, but again, leaning into the wide receiver talk heavily. When Rand Carthon started at the podium, he said looking for guys that can score touchdowns. And yeah. you want to talk about being honest? He said focused on wide receivers and offensive linemen. And I think someone asked a follow-up question. Said any other position groups? And he said not really. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like. I get it. I've seen it on paper too, right? Like Dylan Radins and Daniel Brunskill and Petit Friere and Kyle Phillips. Yeah, I'd probably be focusing on them too. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, a couple more interesting comments, quotes that I want to get to here. Rand Carthon talked about the possibility of trading out of the seventh yes. pick. You read my yeah. mind. That's where I was going next. 
This is also sort of coach speaky. Like, it was. What else is he going to say? Um, of course, we'll entertain the options to move out of the pick, but we also like being at number seven is basically what he said. Like, now a lot of fans are reading into this being like, oh, maybe they'll, they'll trade down. I'm not reading into this at all. I think this is absolute coach speak. Like, whether or not the Titans pick at seven or trade down from that pick or trade up from that pick, which I don't expect at all, has nothing to do with what Rand Carthon is saying today. Like, we're not learning anything from this quote. That's my takeaway from this quote. Do you agree? Agreed. The one thing I'll add that I liked that he said, again, another honest evaluation. That's the theme of this episode. He said, uh, we want to build long-term sustainability. We want to build a long-term winner. We're not just going all in on this year, essentially. And in order to do that, you have to build through the draft. And in order to do that, you need draft capital. So to me, it was more an honest evaluation. He knows they don't have a third-round pick. And he knows the state of this roster. But it's the same thing we've been saying, right? We know that's why it's a possibility because they don't have a lot of picks. Well, I think that it goes back to what you've been sort of theorizing and and throwing out there. 38. Exactly. Trade down from 38. It seems much more likely to me than passing on a potential blue chip player at seven just to get another. And I don't think they will, man. It would take some stones. Like, look, this team, I'll I'll go on. uh, This is not bold, right? But number seven. It's either Alt, Fashanu, Neighbors, Adunze, or by some miracle, Marvin Harrison Jr. who's not going to be there. But it's one of those five players at seven, right? I don't see a lot of scenarios where you come on the board at seven and you're super comfortable trading down and still landing one of those guys. Where are you going to, right? I don't know. Like, I don't, you know, the Falcons, if they trade up, it's probably into the top five, right, for a quarterback. So the Broncos at 12, the Vikings I think, at 11. It's a long way down from seven when you're talking about Malik Neighbors and Roma Dunze. I don't know if we need to have this conversation right now, but fuck it. We've already started talking about it. Um, the Broncos and the Raiders, if one of the four, let's call them four top quarterbacks right now, based on everything we're hearing, if you haven't been yep. following everything, J.J. McCarthy is a top four quarterback. Set in stone at this point. So you got Caleb, Drake, Jaden, and JJ. If one of those four guys is still on the board at seven, there have been rumors that the Raiders want to be aggressive moving up for a quarterback. The Broncos, they gave up so much draft capital for Russell Wilson that I don't really see. Oh, they hate him. They'd have to. I mean, they're going to get rid of. No, they're they're going to get rid of Russ. I'm talking about having like... Can they give up more picks to move up and take another shot on a quarterback? Like, I just don't see that being sustainable for them. I do think the Raiders are a really interesting team as a potential trade-up candidate. I'm just so afraid, man, of trading down that far and not getting... Think about it. If J.J. McCarthy's still there at seven, right? That means someone else in another position isn't, right? So you've already missed out on an opportunity to get a Joe Alt or a Fashanu or a Nate, right? But maybe that... still there, someone else went. But maybe that player that went was the Titans top of their board at seven. Maybe. And they're like, yep. well, he's not here anymore. We can afford to move back and take, I don't know, J.C. Latham at 13 or one of these right. other wide receivers. I mean, Romo Dunze is no lock to go in the top 10. He could be there at 13 still, potentially. Although yeah. I think his range is like, yeah, like seven to 12 or something. Yeah. Like that. I agree he's not going in the top six. Right. So we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. I think it's definitely in play. But like I, like we both have said the blue, the chance to get a real blue chip talent at seven is too much to pass up on. Another really interesting quote I want to get to. There's two more in my head. I wonder if you have... Yeah, there's two I want to close with, so I wonder if you've got the same two. All right. The first one is talking about Andre Dillard. On the mm-hmm. subject of being honest, Rand Carthon said, it's well documented that Andre <laughs> Dillard did not play as well as we needed him to last year. Yeah. 
Rand's like, I've been on fucking PFF. I saw how many <laughs> pressures they credited his ass with. We know he's been documented. He didn't play as well as we thought we wanted him to. Um, there's no been there's not been any indication yet that the Titans are gonna cut him. Everyone's assuming they will because he was so bad and the cap savings are there. Does this not quote, much cap savings though? Not much. Well, there's but there's a little, a little bit. bit. There is at least some cap savings, but two three does, million, I think. No, right. something like that. Um, do you think that this? quote is sort of signaling that we they are going to move on from Andre Dillard before free agency begins I mean why wouldn't you right like why delay the inevitable right like I don't think you're going to pay him I know the contracts are structured differently but an average annual salary of 10 million dollars right three years 30 million like why are you paying him 10 million to do what like to to be a swing tackle not a lot of swing tackles uh, make 10 million annually right like that was a high risk, high reward move bridge gap. It's a, a bridge type contract is what it was. Right. And now, you know, he's not capable of being that bridge to the next guy. It's time to find the next guy. Uh, I, I, I just, it also sends a bad message to your team in all honesty, right? Like if you can move on from the guy, I don't know why you wouldn't and, and overpay him. Right. Remember Mike Vrabel and John Robinson. I know it's different, but remember how they'd move on from a guy, even if he was good, but you knew he was at the end of his line and he wasn't living up to the contract. Like they were big on, earn your contract right and it's like Andre Diller is certainly not earned what's he get on the open market tomorrow uh one year three million you know what I mean probably like yeah one year four million max I think it honestly would be even less than that at this point so I I, I can't fathom bringing him back and paying him an average annual salary of 10 million dollars yeah and while you were talking I looked it up the the cap savings there if they do something like that is just under three million yeah and it would leave you with a pretty big dead cap 7.792 what about the post June first designation so if you do anything with Andre Dillard I think it's probably a post first uh, sorry a post June first release because the cap savings towards this year would be 6.4 million and you'd limit the dead cap this year to 4.1 and then 3.5 in 2025. Makes a lot more sense than cutting them pre-June 1st where you're only saving 2.8 and take on a dead cap of uh, 7.7. So again, post-June 1st release, you're saving almost 7 mil towards the cap. And um, and, and your the dead cap hit gets minimized to 4.1 and then 3.5 uh, the following year. That brings me to my next point. But yo, but you can't use that money right away. One of the two things I wanted to close with, right? With that post June first designation, if you, but you wouldn't how it have that if you don't cut him, you only have two and a half million dollars. It's not like you're freeing up that much anyway. So who cares exactly. if you can't use that money exactly. right away? But the point Plus, they I want have so to... much damn money, it doesn't even matter. Right, so much more <laughs> money saving that post June first, right? Well, well, seven million essentially. Yeah, but also the Titans have so much money. It's not right. like they need to free up money, but to start a free agency in order to make a move. Exactly. They have Which is why million. you just do the smart thing and do the post June 1st designation. And then Ran, while well, I'm tying it into, uh, how could they could use that money, for example? Ran said, uh, we have a lot of cap space, but we have to spend wisely. We have to keep in mind that we need operating costs in the fall and for players who become available in July, like the Andre Hopkins did last season. So mm-hmm. he also went on to talk about how he thinks they had the most operating, like a top five operating cost, I believe throughout the fall, throughout the season. And that led to some in-season moves. And again, having the money to make a move in July for a guy that you don't expect to be available. He did talk about spending wisely, building long-term. I get it. I saw Zach, I'm going to call him out, our buddy at F-Words Pod, say on Twitter something about being thrifty in free agency. I mean, I hope they're not thrifty. Like, let's be honest. Like, you've got a lot of money. Yes, you want to build long-term sustainability, but you know what's something no one's acknowledging? You need results to be here long-term, right? right? Like, this is the NFL. You're asked going to get fired 
if you don't win in two, three years, right? Like if you're not yeah. winning football games, you're getting fired. Okay. So stop talking five, seven, eight, nine years down the line. You've got a rookie quarterback on the rookie contract on the four-year cost control deal, a second round pick at that. You've got 85 million in cap space. No, shut up with the thrifty shit. You got to take advantage of this window while Will Levis is on well, his contract. On that note, Brian Callahan also had an interesting comment. He said, you know, we can get, like, basically it was like, how long do you foresee this turnaround taking? Or can you turn around this quickly in one year? And he basically said, you can get a lot done in a year. We have premium draft pick and a lot of cap space. Right. So on the anti-thrifty front there, it sounded like Brian Callahan wants this team to be aggressive with their cap they space. Be. $85 and, million. It's crazy. And they should be. Mike. And he thinks that they can turn this team around, maybe not make them a Super Bowl contender in one offseason, but he thinks they're going to be competitive next year with the resources they have to build up their roster. And they should be. Our buddy Mike Herndon wrote a great article on PaulGarski.com, a nine-man free agent class for the Titans, where yeah. he added, I don't, Mike's a wizard, he added nine, they should hire him, he added nine <laughs> free agents, okay, and he, all the proposed contracts, and he only used half of their cap space. not Less than half, actually, because he wrote the article before the increase to the cap. You only use half their cap space based on projected 2024 cap hits, projected co- nine guys. And he had Mike on Wenu. He had uh, uh, Jonah Williams. He had Andre James, the center. So it's like he added a good cast and he only used 40 million. Like th- th- They don't need to be thrifty. They need to spend their money and try to compete for the ASC. You don't want to be stupid, but no, I'm not going into free agency being thrifty thinking, oh, uh, long-term success. You're not going to be here if you win four games next year and, and you're not ready and you win five the year after. Yeah, I agree. All right, I have one last quote that I wanted to bring up. Me too. Me too. I hope it's the same one. This isn't necessarily that surprising, I guess, but um, talking about Bill Callahan. Nope, different. Okay. Rand Carthon. Rand Carthon. Okay. Rand Carthon talking about Bill Callahan putting on a clinic in terms of a presentation he made to the staff. That he blew everyone away. I mean, we know Bill Callahan is a great coach. We know he's been doing this for, you know, well on 50 years, getting the best out of his guys. But just to hear that the impact, you know, that they're already being blown away by what he's doing in the building. Again, this isn't surprising. We know Bill Callahan's a great coach. Cool to hear that this is happening in the building right now in February, that he's already making such an impact. Very cool. He said the interview blew them away and then, uh, of course, they asked Brian Callahan about it a ton as well. And he said too much, been great in to- my opinion. Note to yes. Nashville media. We get it. He's working with his dad. It's cool. How much more can you say about the subject? I know. I agree. <laughs> I enjoyed that. He said there's not a lot of bossing him around and we're enjoying talking about past protection over morning coffee and the kind of guys we're looking for. Uh, I'm going to move on to our final point before we get out of here. It's the one I thought you were going to bring up. Maybe you haven't seen it yet. The final interesting nugget from that podium, uh, sorry, not the podium, the post-podium scrum that happened with uh, Brian Callahan, talked about backup quarterback. Oh, talked yeah. about wanting an experienced guy, a guy that can come in and play. You need someone to get you through a two, three, or four-game stretch. You hope that's not an eight, nine-game stretch, but you know sometimes it's going to happen with a two, three-game stretch. Um, didn't change my thoughts on anything, but reiterated my belief uh, or reinforced, I should say, that Malik Willis is not going to be the backup quarterback in 2024. That's just Agreed. how I feel. You look at this free agent class, there are so many quarterbacks, free agent quarterbacks with ties um, to this staff. Look, it could be, a, I, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is probably too high end of a backup Q. I think he knows he's a backup at this point after what happened in Vegas. But- well, suspended two games. I don't think he's going to be, he's made a lot of money in his career. I don't a think he's going to be super expensive. And with Tannehill off the books, 
the Titans' investment in the quarterback room is Will Levis and maybe Malik Willis if he's on the roster by They're September. They're going to sign one. They're, They're definitely going to sign one. one. But my point is, they can afford to sign a guy like Garoppolo. And Probably. the biggest concern for me going forward with Will Levis's career is that he has dealt with some injuries. Now, he's toughed a lot of them out. I think the state of the team last year is a big reason why he didn't tough them out a little bit more. But even going well, back to his... he does play a little recklessly. He I know plays recklessly. And going back to his time at Kentucky, he played... I mean, he played through the injury all season, but he had an injury. My point is, he's probably going to be a guy who deals with little nagging injuries throughout his career. Joe Burrow is another guy who hasn't dealt with necessarily nagging injuries, but has had two major injuries that wiped away majority of two seasons. So Brian Callahan has seen firsthand what happens when your starting quarterback goes down. Jimmy Garoppolo, he's not an elite quarterback by any stretch. Obviously, we know that. We know the shortcomings are there. But familiar with Bo Hardigree, the quarterback's coach, could probably pick up the system relatively quickly because he's been in a few different ones by now. He's been in the Shanahan system, been in the the New England system. Like He's been in this scheme before and has a, probably could pick it up fairly quickly. With yep. Will Levis's health status, I mean, it's not like you're going to pay him $25, 30000000 million. He's not probably going to get that this year, especially with that two-game suspension. Probably so he gets he's, six or $7 million, right, I would project, with per with, with some sort of incentive, if he has to play five games, he gets a bonus, right. like, probably per, per game you know, starter bonus or whatever. And if you lead him to the playoffs and play this much bonus, that sort of incentive thing. And I just don't think he's going to be that expensive. I think he's going to have to settle for a backup role because of the two-game suspension, where it's like if you bring him to compete with somebody in like Pittsburgh or something, well, Kenny Pickett, if you bring in Jimmy Garoppolo to complete, compete with Kenny Pickett, Kenny Pickett starting the first two games because yeah, Garoppolo suspended. Good point. So I don't know. I, I'm just connecting some dots here between you know, the Raiders coaching staff, Bo Hardigree coming over to the Titans. Like, eh, it's interesting. Well, he's the high-end option, Garoppolo yeah. is. But I think there are other lower-end options, and I mean no disrespect, that they would still choose over Malik Willis to have familiarity. The Bengals just cut A.J. McCarron, right? Very familiar, of course, with Callahan yeah. throughout his time there. Yeah. A.J. McCarron, Brian Hoyer is another one that Bo Hardigree knows from his time together before in New England. So that's another one that that's... And, and again... um, uh, in Vegas this past year with Bo Hardigree and, and the new assistant head coach, uh, Tom Jones, as well. So right. they're going to have a couple quarterback veteran options. I just named three of them uh, that I think would have a better chance to win the backup job over Malik Willis. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So that's it. Those are our takeaways from Brian Callahan, Rand Carthon Pressers. Before we get out of this episode, since we are talking combine stuff, Justin, I just want to pick your brain for a couple of minutes here. I don't want to go too long on this. Just generally what you think about guys like Marvin Harrison Jr. and Malik Neighbors coming out and saying, we're not going to run. We're not going to run the 40. We're not going to do drills at the combine. We're going to wait for our pro days. I don't even know if Marvin Harrison's going to have a pro day. Marvin Harrison is like... He doesn't have an agent. Marvin Harrison's like, screw the pre-draft process. I'm yeah. Marvin freaking Harrison Jr. I'm going to go right. focus on getting ready for the season. If you want me on your team, come get me. Otherwise, I don't really care. I'm going in the top five. I don't like, I don't need to do all this nonsense. Not wrong. Um, and I agree. He's not wrong. But... There's also been a lot of chatter from people who know things and who talk to people that more teams than you think have Malik Neighbors as wide receiver one over Marvin Harrison Jr. Well, neither guy's going to run at the Combine. Romo Dunze, however, is going to get out there and run the 40. If he's doing that, it's because he thinks he's going to run a really good time. Otherwise, he and would just be like... gap a little, right? The exactly. See if he can jump you know, neighbors for that consensus wide receiver two spot. See if he can get into that wide receiver one conversation. 
So it's going to be interesting to me to see how this the rest of this week plays out with the combine. But how much stock do you put into this whole I'm not doing the pre-draft process part of it as someone who evaluates hundreds of draft prospects every year? Well, let's talk about the quarterbacks too. Caleb Williams, yeah. Drake May, and Jaden Daniels. None of them are throwing. Okay, so I wanted to bring that up because I think this goes hand in hand. I've been saying this on my my, my my daily draft network meetings for a while now. The pre-draft process is changing every year, okay? Yeah. Whether we like to admit it or not, NIL had an impact too, okay? Because what that did is gave players more control over their future, okay? Every year, and this is a trend, you can go back to last year, fast forward to next year, top guys are doing less and less. They are taking more control over the league, pushing back on the demands. Combine's a very stressful week. Medicals. Now, look, it's all about money, okay? I don't think I'm rambling. Tell me if I am. These events are prime time now. You're running the 40 at 7, 8 p.m. at night when you've been in medicals all morning since 9, 10 a.m., and the medicals will last three, four hours sometimes, okay? Then you've got interviews. It's a long week. Guys aren't crazy about getting out there at 8 p.m. to run. Okay, or running the L drill at nine, whatever. You know what I mean? Like vertical jumping at that time, right? Because no matter what, we're all going to put a ton of stock into the results. Yeah. No one's going to forgive a guy because he had to do it at 9 p.m. Very few of us will, right? So the more this process, this landscape's changing every year, man. I think agents are pushing their players to take more control over this process. Players are pushing for more control. They don't care. Mike Florio, as controversial as he is, he recently said, and I thought it was interesting. Uh, he said, he goes, I've always found it bullshit that it's a privilege, blah, blah. It's also a privilege for these NFL teams to hire really good rookies on four-year cost-control deals, yeah, right? So true. players are taking more control every single year, man. I said this on radio twice, and I'm shocked no one knew this on the two radio shows I went to. There's a Big 12 Pro Day this year, okay? They're, the Big 12 are not holding individual Pro Days. I've never seen that before. The Big 12 teams, there are some big teams in the Big 12. We're not talking about a D3 conference here, right? Yeah. Like, no individual pro days. One big combine-like event where every program is going together and hosting a pro day, hosting a combine at the same time. It's happening in Frisco, I think. It's happening uh, exactly a month from today, I think, end of March. Yeah. This landscape is going to keep changing. What if the SEC does that? What's going to happen? This I'm looking ahead. Okay, this landscape is changing so much. I don't think a lot about it because there's only so much we can say in terms of like, what do I think about the receivers not doing it? What I think is get used to it. Yeah. That's what I think. It's going to keep happening year after year. Top guys, they don't see a lot of incentives. I had a guy, I don't, I, I don't know if I alluded to, I don't want to say a name. There was a guy that was supposed to be at Senior Bowl that I was excited to see. Didn't go down there. I spoke to the agent. I said, how come he's not going? And he said, because we got top 20 grades from the NFL. Like, why? Yeah, at a certain so point. Why Marvin Harrison? Well, why yeah, Malik when Nabors? you're why when you're, Williams? Why Drake May? When your stock is already so high, at a certain point, the only thing that can happen is you slip for a half second right. or less in the forty. And what it, good can Marvin Harrison or Caleb Williams do at the combine? Right, like you can only go, you can only do something negative. There, the wow throws, the the fast forty time, like they already we already know that about these guys without having to see yes. it, the testing numbers. So. And th- and there are situations still where it helps, right? Again, sorry, not to cut you off, but like I think of what 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 you know what people will tell you, and they're not like Quinion Mitchell, okay, was getting you know late first round buzz. He went Senior Bowl, huge week, mid first now, right? Anthony Richardson last year, 
A great example. Number four overall. Was he going to go that high? Wasn't he? Shatters a bunch of combine records. Probably established himself right then and there. Number four, right? right? So it's like it goes both ways. But when you're, but there were still questions around Anthony Richardson a little bit, right? No questions around Marvin Harrison. I don't think. Right. right? I mean, so the, it's it's a little different. The only thing that's going to happen possibly from this is you'll get people saying like, "Well, why isn't he running? Is it because he would have run a four six? Right. And those people just are wrong. Like that's not why he's he would right. not have run a four six. He if he does slip or have some sort of tiny miscue in the one or two chances he gets to run this forty, then you know his his stock could plummet. But Exactly. He has nothing to gain there. He's already the top guy. He's already going to be a top three, four pick. So what do you have to gain? I agree. So I am excited to see Rome run. I think Roma Dunze could push himself into like a solidified top 10 pick if he has a good week. But um, yeah. yeah, neighbors and, and Marvin Harrison will not be out there. All right. Anything else combine related you want to say before we close this episode out? I can go on and on. But if you want to hear <laughs> more from me on the combine, I think everyone podcasts stuff nowadays. Uh, I had, you know, two radio appearances the other day. I was on Blaine and Mickey, uh, and I was on Ramon, Kayla, and Will. And uh, a lot of combine talk on both of those shows I did. Uh, I was deep in my bag, man. I'll pat myself on the back. I had written a bunch of articles lately on guys that were going to crush the combine. So I was very well prepared for those questions because I was bringing up uh, 100-meter dash times, like a relay time, all this crazy shit from high school. So it's like... You want to hear some combine sleepers that I, I talked about so many of them. I gave you verified numbers from high school. Go check out Ramon, Kayla, and Will. Uh, go check out Blaine and Mickey. Again, I'm pretty sure they podcast both of them. So you could find my appearance on both shows from earlier this week. I also just wrote a new article on broadwaysportsmedia.com. It'll be published on Wednesday morning, I believe. So if you're hearing this on Tuesday, you'll have to wait a couple hours. But I talked about the free agent safety class a little bit because much as we're talking about all these other positions, I do think safety is a very, very underrated need for the Titans in free agency. And I expect them to address it in free agency. So I talked about a couple guys the staff has connections to and why I think it's such a big need and why I think they'll address it in free agency. So head over to Broadway Sports and read that article as well. Yes, check that out. Thanks, Justin. All right, that'll do it for this episode. We'll be back later this week talking about, as we've been saying we'll do for a while now, pending free agents, going through all of them, offense and defense, coming out in two separate episodes. That is coming later this week. Not today, though, because we had to react to this combine stuff and the and the quotes out of the presser, so that's why we delayed that those pods again. But they will be coming, so stay tuned to the channel. Make sure you're subscribed. Music City Audible podcast on youtube um follow justin on twitter at justin m underscore nfl you can follow me at titans film room that'll do it until we are back y'all stay safe out there and tighten up a broadway sports media production